do the Bible, Hogwarts, disciples, and Dementors all have in common? This podcast. Welcome to The Gospel According to Harry Potter, a podcast for Potterheads, Jesus freaks, and everyone in between. My name is Ashley, and together we'll examine the entire Harry Potter series, chapter by chapter, through a biblical lens, looking for insights into Harry Potter from a Christian worldview and insights into real life from a wizarding worldview. So grab your favorite Harry Potter book, your go-to Bible translation, and maybe a mug of warm butterbeer and get ready to explore the wizarding world like never before. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Ashley, the muggle behind the mic, and I'm excited to keep going on our journey through the Harry Potter series with you, reading each chapter through a biblical lens. As a reminder, when you hear the word... Lumos. It means that I'll be shining a light on a biblical element that I see in the story. And also, if you want to know more about what Bible verses I'm talking about, if you have any questions about faith or about Christianity, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram at Gospel According to Harry Potter. I'm more than happy to answer your questions. And I'm going to include every biblical reference and any other reference in the show notes. So if you want to dig deeper on your own, you are more than welcome to do that. In fact, I encourage that. I would love to hear that people are going a little deeper into your Bible study because of this show. That's my goal, guys. That's the dream. So our wand of the week this week is larch. I'm not going to lie. I have never even heard of a larch tree, so I had to Google it. And to me, it looks kind of like a big pine tree, I think. Anyway, it's really pretty. But according to wizardingworld.com, Ollivander says, quote, Strong, durable, and warm in color, larch has long been valued as an attractive and powerful wandwood. Its reputation for instilling courage and confidence in the user has ensured that demand has always outstripped supply. This much sought-after wand is, however, hard to please in the matter of ideal owners and trickier to handle than many imagine. I find that it always creates wands of hidden talents and unexpected effects, which likewise describes the master who deserves it. It is often the case that the witch or wizard who belongs to the larch wand may never realize the full extent of their considerable talents until paired with it, but that they will then make an acceptable match. End quote. So according to Ollivander, larch wood instills courage and confidence, which reminded me of Psalm 27, verse 3. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. What a wonderful scripture that reminds us that we can have courage and be confident even in the most dire situations because we have a mighty God on our side. So to all my larch-loving friends out there, I challenge you to memorize Psalm 27 verse 3 this week. And if you don't know what your wand wit is, head over to my Instagram highlights and check out the wand ceremony pause game to see which wand chooses you. And now let's get into today's recap. Today, we're reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling, Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. We open with Harry realizing that Draco Malfoy is one person he actually hates more than Dudley Dursley, a feat which he didn't think was even possible. Harry's bummed when he finds out that the Gryffindors and Slytherins will be starting flying lessons together, and he tells Ron he's worried he'll make a fool of himself in front of Malfoy. See, Malfoy's been bragging a lot about how good he is at flying a broom, and once again Harry feels less than because he's never even tried flying. 
He's not the only one, though. Neville Longbottom has never flown because his grandmother thinks it's dangerous. And Hermione Granger, who was also raised by muggles, has only ever read about the theory of flying. On the morning of their first flying lesson, Neville receives a package from his grandmother. It turns out to be a remembrall, a little glass ball full of white smoke that turns red when you've forgotten something. Poor Neville sees it turn red immediately, but can't remember what he's forgotten. Lumos. Remembrall. Something I find really interesting throughout scripture is the amount of times it mentions God being reminded of things. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 49, the psalmist says to God, Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. In Isaiah 62, 6, it says, Put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a persistent widow who continues to petition a judge for help until he finally caves. A parable which means God will act on behalf of those who don't give up on reminding him of his promises. So what do all these verses mean? Is God forgetful? Does he make promises to his people and then get distracted and fail to come through? Not at all. These verses are not so much about reminding God because he's forgotten, but it's about reciting back to God the promises he has made. This repetition of his promises back to him is actually an act of faith. It's saying to God, hey, I know that you said this and I believe that you meant it. So now I'm getting into agreement with what you said will be. My favorite Bible reference to God remembering something actually comes about in Genesis 9, verses 13 through 16. Right after the earth was flooded and all life was destroyed except for Noah and his family, God says, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. What a beautiful act of faithfulness. God created the rainbow for the one purpose of reminding himself of the covenant he made with us. And that's better than a remember-all any day. Knox. As Neville is admiring his new remember-all, Malfoy comes over and grabs it from him. But Professor McGonagall, ever on the ball, sees what's happening and squashes it immediately. Later that day, the Gryffindor and Slytherin first years meet in the lawn for their first ever flying lesson with Madame Hooch. Harry's surprised when he is one of the first to be able to summon his broomstick from the ground. He also enjoys hearing Madame Hooch tell Malfoy he's been doing it all wrong for years. On their first attempt at hovering off the ground, Neville panics and shoots up into the sky, then falls off his broom and hits the ground hard, breaking his wrist. When Madame Hooch takes Neville up to the hospital wing, Malfoy finds Neville's remembral on the ground and takes off on his broom, threatening to leave the remembral up a tree. Ignoring Hermione's warning that he'll get in trouble, Harry also takes to the sky and threatens to knock Malfoy off his broom. Realizing he doesn't have his buddies, Crab and Goyle, up there to defend him, Malfoy throws the remembral and Harry pulls a spectacular nosedive, catching the ball just before it hits the ground. Unfortunately, Professor McGonagall is running toward them, yelling that Harry might have broken his neck. When she tells him to come with her back to the castle, Harry is sure he's about to get in big trouble. She leads him to Professor Flitwick's classroom, where she asks to, quote, borrow wood for a moment, end quote, and Harry thinks she means a cane to beat him with. But thankfully, it turns out to be Oliver Wood, a fifth-year student who's captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team. 
Professor McGonagall tells Wood she has found him a new seeker for the team and explains how Harry had caught the rememberall after a 50-foot dive. Harry's stunned and delighted to be added to the team, and McGonagall tells him, quote, Your father would have been so proud. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself, end quote. Later on, the other Gryffindors celebrate Harry joining the Quidditch team as the youngest player in a century. Malfoy and his gang approach, and Malfoy's gloating, assuming Harry must have been expelled for flying. When Harry teases that Malfoy's only acting tough because he's back on the ground with his friends to protect him, Malfoy challenges Harry to a wizard's duel to take place that night at midnight. Ever the true friend, Ron steps in and declares that he's Harry's second, explaining to Harry that that means he'll take over if Harry dies. Harry worries over what to do if he waves his wand and nothing happens, to which Ron advises to throw the wand away and punch Malfoy on the nose instead. Lumos. A challenge to fight. I can't think about Malfoy's taunting challenge without being reminded of another arrogant foe who challenged a young boy to a fight, Goliath. You probably know the story from 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Israelites have been facing the Philistine army for 40 days, and each day the enemy champion, Goliath, a man who the Bible describes as being over nine feet tall, comes out and challenges them to send someone down to fight him. No one is brave enough to do it until a young shepherd named David boldly says he'll accept the challenge. Now, spoiler alert, the young David wins, taking Goliath down with nothing but a sling and a stone. Now, here's the difference between David and Harry Potter in this situation. Harry has accepted his dual challenge to offend his own honor, but he feels unconfident that he'll actually be able to win. David, on the other hand, accepted the challenge to defend God's honor and knows he will win because the Lord is his strength and the victory will belong to God. It's so cool how sure David is. His faith is so strong that he's willing to face down this literal giant, a guy who is a proven warrior because he is so certain that God will bring victory. We all face challenges in life, some scarier than others, and it can be tempting to face them like Harry, for the wrong reasons and with very little confidence. So today, I'm challenging you with this. Rise up like David. Choose only the battles that will glorify God and be confident knowing that success comes from him and him alone. Knox. At 11.30 that night, Harry and Ron set out to meet Malfoy and his cronies in the trophy room. To their annoyance, Hermione Granger confronts them, fussing about breaking more rules and losing points for Gryffindor. She follows them out of the common room, and when she gets locked out, she decides to go with them, still going on and on about getting in trouble. They also find Neville out in the corridor, and he decides to tag along too, as he's afraid to be left out alone in case the Bloody Baron, the resident ghost of Slytherin, should come along. When they get to the trophy room, Malfoy's not there. Suddenly, they hear the caretaker, Mr. Filch, coming their way, and they have to make a run for it so as not to get caught. Hermione tells Harry, unnecessarily, that Malfoy must have tricked him to try to get him in trouble. And then Peeves the poltergeist shows up and begins to yell, students out of bed, so that they have to take off running again. They come to a locked door and are trapped, hearing Filch's footsteps drawing nearer and nearer until Hermione uses the Alohomora spell to unlock the door, and they all rush inside to hide. But their hiding place turns out to be the very third-floor corridor that Dumbledore had warned them about at the start of your feast, and they find themselves face-to-faces with a giant, growling, three-headed dog. Deciding that facing Filch is better than death by mauling, Harry and friends rush back out of the corridor and back to the safety of the Gryffindor common room. 
Once inside, Hermione berates them for the whole ordeal and delivers her famous line, quote, We could all have been killed, or worse, expelled. Lumos. Killed, or worse, expelled. I used to be afraid of dying. I can remember as a kid feeling like the idea of death was absolutely the most terrifying thing in the world. But I don't feel that way anymore. Now that I know Jesus, death has lost all its teeth for me. After all, when I die, I'll just be going from life on earth to eternal life in heaven. And I actually call that a win. No, for me, there's now only one thing that sounds really scary. And it's actually something Jesus said himself. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Guys, that's terrifying. The idea that you could live your life thinking you're a shoe-in to heaven only to finally meet Jesus and have him say he never knew you and then literally expel you. How could that happen? It's something we really have to give some thought to as followers of Christ. Am I doing the will of his Father? Well, it's a hard question that can tempt us to fall back into thinking about our works as a means of earning heaven. What is that will? How can we be sure that Jesus knows us? But we have to remember that we live under a new covenant in Jesus. His death and resurrection paid the price for sin and broke the power of the Old Testament law. So what's the will of God that Jesus is referencing? Well, in 1 John 3.23, it says, And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Notice that when Jesus talks about all these people who thought they were in, they're claiming merit based on their own actions. We prophesied, we cast out demons, we performed miracles. But the commandment God has given us in the new covenant is first to believe in the name of Jesus. The word we translate here as believe is the Greek word pistuo, which means to entrust your spiritual well-being to the name of Jesus. It's no longer about what we do. It's about entrusting our salvation to what Jesus already did. Guys, when we do that and then love others by expressing the love of Christ, then we are doing the will of God. And when we're sure of that, we can be sure of heaven. And so death, where is your sting? I know it might sound very Hermione of me, but being expelled is definitely worse than being killed. Knox. Hermione storms off to bed and leaves Harry thinking about the fact that the three-headed dog was guarding a trap door. Harry wonders if that is where Hagrid had hidden the grubby package that he had taken from Gringotts on the day the vault was robbed. That's a wrap for Chapter 9. What a fun chapter. I forgot how much actually happens in this one. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and follow the show and leave a friendly review. And of course, I'd love for you to share the podcast with your friends and fellow Potterheads. I'll be back next time as we continue our read-through of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. And until then, stay close to Jesus and don't let the muggles get you down. Bye! Bye!